If you don't have my number, I'm not sure I can call you. <laughs> the most precious and fragile thing to me. She's quite a demanding best friend, so what? she really is. Yeah. <laughs> That's a record scratch, by the way, when she makes that noise. It does not sound like one. Hello and welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I'm Will Rycroft and that very real record scratch signals the beginning of this new episode in which we'll be looking at friendship. Blood may be thicker than water, but are the friendships that we choose made of stronger stuff than we imagine? And in a literary canon bursting with fictional friendships, which books offer the very best evocation of this special bond? We'll be hearing from Waterstones Children's Book Prize winner Angie Thomas, Man Booker Prize nominee Tash Orr, and authors of The Black Girl Bible, Yomi Adegake and Elizabeth Yuvabenene. But before we hear from them, it's time to hear from my friends, Dan and Holly. Hello, pals. Friends. Oh! <laughs> Cold. God, starting um, off friendship with a burn. I'm going to go... presenters I'm going to go the opposite and just say, what a beautiful introduction to the oh, episode, Well, uh, Did you very, write that yourself? I did write that That's myself. phenomenal. Oh, it was so right? poetic. I just, I just I made it up as I went along. What can I say? What was that line? Blood thicker than water? That's, That's the, brilliant. <laughs> Glorious. I I I'm not saying that you came up with I that. I definitely cannot like, claim <laughs> You know blood thicker than water? I made that up. Oh, beautiful. In fact, is that... Is it Shakespeare? I just sort of feel like anything like that is probably yeah. Shakespeare. Rycroft. It's Rycroft. It's Rycroft. <laughs> From now on, it's Rycroft. So listen, everybody who heard us wittering on in our first episode last week, Beginnings, will hopefully have you know, gathered a little bit about us as people. If you haven't heard that episode, by the way, it's called Beginnings. It seemed a very good place to start. The three of us talking to David Nichols about our beginnings in books and hearing from another couple of authors as well. You can obviously find that on your podcast platform of choice. Do check that out after you've listened to this one, of course. Um, But I thought what we could do each week is we could all bring something to the table to start off with the episode. Now, this could be a thing. It could be an actual object or it could just be a thing that's happened recently or a memory or a story or a joke or I don't know what. It could be anything, frankly. Who wants to go first? I'll kick things off, I guess, for today. Go for it. So I have recently read a fantastic book called Expectation by Anna Hope, Mm -hmm. which has recently been published, which investigates the lives of three women, all of the same age, who used to be friends at school, living in London, but at very different stages of their lives, and really kind of examines the friendships that they have with each other, how they interact with other people in their lives, and I just absolutely loved it, and I'm going to go as far as to say that I'm going for the next Sally Rooney, I think, it's fantastic. But there's a really nice, yeah, there's a really nice introductory chapter, and I just wanted to read a paragraph from that. Straight in there. So the three friends have been hanging out in the park near to the house that they're all living in together. It's a bit of a rundown house, but they constantly talk about how amazing it is to be young people living in this property. They would like to pause time just here, just now, in this park, this gorgeous afternoon light. They would like the house prices to remain affordable. They would like to smoke cigarettes and drink wine as though they're still young and they don't make any difference. They would like to burrow down here in the beauty of this warm May afternoon. They live in the best house, on the best park, in the best part of the city on the planet. Much of their lives is still before them. They have made mistakes, but they are not fatal. They are no longer young, but they do not feel old. They still have time, time to look backwards and look forwards. Life is still malleable and full of potential. The openings to the roads not taken have not yet sealed up. They still have time to become who they are going to be. Closes book. That's a lovely opening, isn't it? That really is great for setting a scene. Yes. You are not the first person I've heard raving about this book. In fact, there's a bit of a buzz 
bit of a buzz building. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's very exciting. Dan, what have you brought with you? Um, I brought an anecdote and not a book. We did an event recently for Empathy Day, which is a um, initiative brought about by a group called Empathy Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, they work with all sorts of authors, but they also have a strong interest in psychology and neuroscience in examining the ways that reading develops empathy. Um, so particularly with children's authors, this is very important. But we did an event last night with them, and the thing that came out of it was this discussion around empathy. It was with Mallory Blackman and Joseph Coelho, so it was a really interesting discussion. Mm. I don't know, it felt p- particularly pertinent for today's episode being on friendship, empathy being a key part of that. It certainly is. In fact, remember that word, empathy. It will be coming back later. Um, we're we're going to be talking about friendship in this episode. Um To get us started, I'm going to introduce Andy Thomas. So she's the author of The Hate You Give, which was, of course, the winner of the Waterstones Children's Book Prize in 2018. And that's since been adapted into an incredible film. Don't know if you've seen it. Um, Her latest book, On the Come Up, is set in the same neighbourhood and focuses on a young rapper. And if you haven't already seen the video that I made with Angie, in which she raps, you have to go and look on our YouTube channel. It is absolutely everything you could possibly hope for from that description. Um, Here she is on what friendship means to her. You know, I think friendship means love. You know, it's another form of love. Um, my friends, I love them, and and I love that they're part of my lives, and I love that they my life, and I love that they exist. So, I, I friendship it's it's a foundation too. You know, um, it would be hard for me to operate in this industry if it weren't for the friends that I've made along the way who offer support and another form of community. Hmm. So, friendship is definitely a big part of community too. Do you have a sort of a tight group of friends or do you have like a wide network of friends or mm-hmm. do you have both I suppose <laughs> I have a lot of people who think they're my friends <laughs> <laughs> you know but um, I do for me I have a tight group and 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 I I'm okay with that and I like it that way because um in the position I'm in I'd never know when someone's sometimes it's hard to recognize when someone's being genuine or not or they're trying to get close to me because of what they think they can get out of me but I have a tight group of friends that I don't have to worry about that with that I don't have to talk about books with them you know or movies or any of that stuff they don't they care but that is not the only thing they want to discuss with me so you know but I'm friendly I try to be friendly to every person I come across unless they are not friendly with me but you know um there, I, I always say I have tight friends, friends with a capital F, and then friends with a lowercase f, you know, just people that um, I'm friendly with and I'm okay with. But I'm like this, if you don't have my number, I'm not sure I can call you a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that thing, obviously, with the success of The Hate You Give and then mm-hmm. it becoming a film, as you say, that the people that then come into your life, do you find yourself having to be slightly suspicious, slightly wary of, as you say, what they want from you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I look at it more so as just being protective of myself, not so much paranoid, but protective, you know, and, and learning that I have to protect myself because I have my best interests at heart. And I don't know if sometimes other people who suddenly come into my life do. And so it's just a matter of figuring that out along the way. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it can be a little, it can be a little tough, you know, but I'm thankful that I have so many friends already that I had them before all of this. So, and, and, and that makes a huge difference. But yeah, I'm always, I'm always wondering, okay, if somebody's trying to sneak into the fold. And then some people, they, they, it's obvious from the get go. And it's just like, okay, calm down. It's all right. You know, so it's like, 
I, I know the people who would be my friend, whether or not um, The Hate You Give sold one copy or a million copies. I know who those people are, and I'm thankful for that. Do you think that there's a, a quality that you could name that makes a really good friend? Mm. You know, I think a good quality for a friend is, I'd say empathy. Empathy is a great quality for a friend, you know, and I think it's something we're, so often it feels like society lacks a lot of empathy as a whole. And I think it's just it's a great thing to have. And people want to almost act as if empathy is a weakness, but it's not. What's wrong with taking the time to not only understand how someone else feels, but feel it yourself for a second? I think empathy is the purest form of understanding. And so it, it, it makes great friends. And that's not saying you have to have empathy every single time, but if you can at, at times, it helps, you know? So I'd say that's one of the, um, one of the great qualities of a good friend. Look at that, almost as if I planned it with the whole empathy ties. Oh, see, you're so simpatico. I know, uh, but I do think this actually does relate back to what I was talking about at the beginning with Empathy Lab and the, and reading being a means of generating empathy because quite honestly of all of my closest friends all of them are pretty avid readers um and i think it that's something for me personally that's massively important is someone who i can exchange ideas with or number one but also number two i think that reading does like help generate empathy and helps mm. relate to people outside of your own situation um and i think that's obviously it goes hand in hand with what angie was saying about friendship you know if empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes mm. what else is reading apart from quite literally doing yeah. that you're reading yeah. fiction that's what that's what that is the exposure that you get to different circumstances you wouldn't get anywhere else because the narrative is so much stronger than even watching television i think yeah um i'm reading an american marriage at the moment again something that i wouldn't normally go for but the things that the plot line is kind of throwing up is really making me think about how would I feel about that and what about if I was in that position mm. and it does it all links back to kind of finding those feelings that you wouldn't have anywhere else yeah I feel like I should also clarify that I'm not being paid by Empathy Lab in any way for plugging <laughs> them so much in this episode <laughs> oh my god I just think I was slightly sad isn't it that idea that that you have to be wary after success of the people that come into your life, you know, mm. that, that friendship becomes slightly, slightly different. I think that there is that thing where the friends that you make early on in your life do tend to be the ones that you can hold on to for much of your life. I think mm. there's, there's periods at school or at university or that sort of teenage period. I, I, I'm still friends with those people, mm. even though we've all gone off and done our separate things you know but I just you, you pick up where you have left off don't you mm. yeah. next time you speak to them actually the next author we're going to hear from has got something to say about friendships and the, the the tenuousness of them we'll get to that in a moment I should introduce him first so we're going to hear from Tash Orr. he's a writer who has seen two of his four novels long listed for the Man Booker Prize and his latest We the Survivors is a taut examination of social inequality and murder in his native Malaysia now, Tash's multilingual childhood and an international adulthood, which now sees him living in London, have given him a very different view on friendship. Friendship, to me, I think is, you know, it, it is the most, um, the most precious and fragile thing to me, um, because I, I've moved countries um, and moved back to countries. The whole notion of friendship for me is not the same as, as that for someone who stayed in. Uh, 
one country f for all their life mm. or, or, or for most of their life. Um, for me, something, friendship is something that has to be worked on uh, in a much more active sense than I think uh, for, for other people. Um, and sometimes when I meet someone, I, I, I know I'm going to get along with them. I'm already filled with this sense of terror uh, of thinking that I'm going to lose that friendship when I move to another country uh, in a few years' time. Because you know, people will say that uh, you can keep up friendship, friendships uh, long distance, but actually in reality it's really, really hard. We all have a tendency to, 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 to be close to people who are physically close to geogra geographically close to us. Um, and so for me, friendship is, it involves so many things. It involves a certain anxiety about, really about loss. It involves um, an anxiety about losing touch with one's culture, with one's language. Uh, you, know, you know, I was born with a certain set of languages and I grew up speaking Chinese, Malay and, and English. Um, but I find that when I'm not in a, in a country where it's easy for for me to speak say Malay on an everyday basis. I do find myself losing that language, and and then it becomes a, a fight to keep up w what you consider is is you know one of your native languages, mm. um, and so it, for me, a friendship is something that that is for fraught with with um, the fear of losing it, and and you feel that at the outset, you feel that almost immediately. You're you're immediately worried about losing a friendship, even as it's just beginning. Yeah, I do. I do think so. I mean, I, I'm always thinking, like, how do I? This is something so wonderful, and and, and how am I going to keep, you know, hang on to it? How you know, am I going to be able to hang on to it? Mm. Um, and and I think that it's always, you know, I, I my friends are sort of they're incredibly dear to me. I don't have very many close friends. You know, I know a lot of people, obviously, but I know I'm I'm not the number of people I, I would say I'm close to. I'm who are really really close friends. I mean, fewer than five, and that's I think a function of of having to move um, as a writer, uh, and you know, I, I've become you know, moving, uh, being a migrant, being an immigrant is so much part of who I am, and so much part of who I am as a writer that, um, although I long not to do that, not to be like that anymore, I feel still feel compelled to be that, uh, and and friendship gets bound up in all those things. Friendship becomes something that. Um, is it's inseparable from the the act of moving around, and in this case, it means to me something that that is always in peril. It's always something that I risk losing. Mm. That, that small group of friends that you do have, what what are the sort of qualities that they offer? What does what does that friendship mean to you? I think that they too are people who are like me, who um, who understand what it is to to inhabit that space. Um, in between social social structures, in between cultures, uh, people who understand that actually, if you're not in touch with someone for two or three months, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've forgotten them, <laughs> and, and that and that it's just that you know you're busy trying to re-establish links with you know your family in another continent, or you're busy trying to you know, uh, to 
establish yourself in a job uh, you know writers these days have to we have to take teaching jobs we have to t you know we have to sort of go go to other countries for our research and, and so all this involves you know huge emotional effort mm. um, it, you know ideally one wants to stay in one one country one and and you know and, and put down roots in one community I mean that that idea is incredibly you know incredibly appealing uh, and you know I spend my whole time wanting to uh, to achieve that but you know but the fact is um, it's very difficult these days you know, for writers and and you know we have to like a lot of people you know writing is is I think society in general has this view that writing is this really glamorous job it's really <laughs> romantic you know you have a garret flat somewhere and you just write when inspiration strikes you but in fact it's a job like any other mm. and you know the market being being what it is nowadays, um, really, you know, writing. I mean, as long as I I can remember, I've always treated writing like another, like like a job. I've always treated it with the respect that I, that other people have for their jobs. You know, I turn up for work every day. I just do it, and you know, other people have to get in their their cars or, or or take a train and commute for an hour, an hour and a half every day to get to work and 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 back. And and really, that's what a lot of writers have to do these days as well in order to survive and, and I guess friendship gets bound up in, in all of that um, you know we're so busy trying to to survive as writers we're so busy trying to um, just keep afloat that that sometimes you know friendships get lost in in, in those moves mm. so lots to unpack there um, so much Tash Tashor is a fascinating man and we spoke about lots of things so I'm hoping he'll come back in another season of the podcast but I was really intrigued by the idea of being scared of losing a friendship even as it's beginning mm. and, and how friendships require work yeah I feel like this is something Holly can touch on seeing as half of her friends have moved to the other <laughs> side of the world not as a result of their friendship with Holly I would assume well, it was interesting listening to him talking about the difficulties with maintaining long-distance relationships mm. because I think we're now on a point in society where it could be no easier. We kind of have these devices that are so easy to contact people. And for me, one of my... Clo Dan's going to laugh at this because he's spent the last year listening to me crying about it. Um, <laughs> uh, one of my closest friends lives in Australia. Another one lives out in Auckland. And... My friend Taylor, who is out in Auckland, said recently when she moved that actually it made her realise who her true friends were. Mm. Because those were the people that, despite that 13-hour time difference, would still get up early to speak to her or would stay up late to speak to her on the phone in the evenings. And we're at a point where it couldn't be easier. We can still send letters, we can still do the traditional things, but to be able to just send a text that is instantly delivered to somebody's pocket when they're on the other side of the world... Tash should not be worried. But is there something about the fact that it is so easy that means that we don't do it? I, in fact, maybe. if it requires effort, it, it means more. I think I agree with you. I have a friend who lives in the States and there was a period of like a year or so when we used to write to each other, mm. like physically write. Yeah. And it was such a meaningful mm. exchange of like just conversation. Yeah. Um, but that at some point kind of died down and we reverted to, you know, like messaging on various mm. platforms. Um, and the conversation loses something in that. Mm. Um, I don't know why, because obviously I message people who live in the country all the time, but like, I don't know, it's such an interesting... I think there's something about the effort that's required to sit down and write a letter with your hand and put a stamp on it and post it and mm. wait for it to arrive. I mean, the epistolary novel exists because that form of communication mm. has meaning. And I can think of so many books I've read where the 
whether it's a love affair or whether it's um, a friendship, that, that the nature of that relationship mm. is entirely communicated through the effort that it requires to, to communicate mm. with each other. And, you know, sending a few emojis to somebody <laughs> doesn't have quite the same impact. But you're right. I mean, it, is, it should mm. be easy to maintain friendships with yeah. almost anybody anywhere. But I, I, I don't know that it, that means that it is easy. Mm. I think this notion of friendship being something that you work on, which Tash brings up quite at the beginning of that clip, is true regardless of where you're, you are prox- in terms of proximity mm. to one yeah. another. Um, a book that came to mind when I was thinking about the topic of this week's podcast was um, Sheila Hetty's How Should a Person Be? Mm-hmm. Which I don't know mm. if either of you have read. Yes, um, have. But it's just brilliant. But she touches on this idea of friendship being something about like mutual um, support or stimulation. So quite near near the beginning of the book, she has this section where she says, one good thing about being a woman is that we haven't too many examples yet of what a genius looks like. It could be me. There is no ideal model for how my mind should be. For the men, it's pretty clear. That's the reason you see them trying to talk themselves up all the time, Um, (laughs) which I think is just a brilliant line. Um, But the book is dedicated to her friend Margot. the novel follows a character called Sheila mm. and her friend Margot. Um, and it's therefore kind of like, I don't want to call it autofiction because the people who write said autofiction don't like the term autofiction, <laughs> but it is like that kind of like autobiographical fiction. Yeah. Um, but Sheila is constantly recording all of their conversations together, which feature in the book. Mm. Um, and Margot, or maybe fictitious versions of them feature in the book, who knows? Um, and Margot's constantly painting. Um, particularly pictures of Sheila. Um, And so you have this really, like, something that's worked on and, like, kind of supporting one another. Um, Yeah, so I think think that's another example of that proximity, kind of Mm. friendship being a fuel. Nice. Sold. Mm, Um, Good work, Dan. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting coming out of the um, Tasha's bit there was this thing about the kind of regularity of content and... Of contact and like kind of picking up the conversation where you left off which is something that just rang so true mm. i'm currently reading austerlitz by Siebold, and there's like these moments whenever the narrator bumps into austerlitz he describes it as like oh and the conversation just continued from where we were two years ago yeah. and like <laughs> genuinely have my closest and dearest friend finn who i've known like my whole life whenever i see them it's just like oh we're back mm. like conversation begins again you know yeah. is it the same for you holly with your friends on the other side of the world it's Absolutely. just sort of please here is a photo of taylor oh <laughs> More. Here is a photo of me and Taylor when for we went all, to Australia last year together. For all of you, you know. listeners at home. <laughs> more, more top <laughs> pictorial content. Of course. Um, but yes, I would say it is, although we do message kind of every couple of days. So there is a sort of constant conversation mm. happening. So we're not at a point where... And it's been the same for the last 13 years, I suppose, of friendship. Um we have always had that constant yeah. conversation. There is that thing as well, isn't it? It's lovely. We're, we're, if it is a true friendship, that if you go away and you lose contact, for whatever the reason is, it'll be because of life. It'll be yeah. because of whatever you're doing. Of course. And that your friends will never judge you for that gap and they'll never ask you necessarily to explain where the hell mm. have you been. They'll be there to be li- ready to listen mm. to you when you're ready to tell them whatever the reason is and also yeah. you can just like dispense with the shit of just like you know oh hi how's it going yeah, like yeah, awkwardness yeah, yeah. it's just like yeah. what are you up to yeah. let's, let's, let's get down to this yeah. <laughs> yeah. love it yeah. okay so now we're going to travel back in time because we can do that on a podcast we're going to go back to the launch of Slay in Your Lane 
the Black Girl Bible, which is by Yomi Adegake and Elizabeth Yuvabeneni. Um, Holly, you were actually at the launch, so can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, they did an absolutely wonderful event at our Tottenham Court Road shop not too long ago. The atmosphere was really warm, it was funny, and when they were explaining where their ideas for the book came from, I was really struck by the strength of their friendship and how that had played such a strong role in making it happen. They just clearly have so much love for each other, so enjoy this snippet. It really comes through. It started because Elizabeth... Um, asks quite a lot of me <laughs> as your best friend yeah she really does she's quite a demanding best friend so quite, she really is yeah <laughs> that's a record scratch by the way when she makes that noise it's, it does not sound like one but um essentially um as amazing as Elizabeth is yeah she 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 you know she knows what she wants so um one day she sort of called me sort of out of the blue um and was kind of like I've been reading loads of books like Lean In and Thrive by Irena Huffington and Girl Boss by Sophia Maruso and you know because I'm trying to like you know kid out work and I want to try and like you know essentially I guess she didn't say slay in her lane because it didn't exist then but she was like I want to kind of kill it in whatever I'm doing and she was like you know essentially there's an elephant in the room because they're like yeah girl as a girl you've got to lean in you've got to like you know take up space and when you're a black woman and you're doing that it's like whoa (laughs) people kind of like can you take up a little bit less space you're kind of scaring me essentially um a lot of people kind of are quick to kind of write us off when we are trying to lean in and sort of be a bit more forthright and be a bit more confident um we kind of come across as angry or as having a chip on our shoulder essentially so elizabeth called me at lunchtime literally like you know i'm i'm at home was i at home was I working? Oh, you're working. <laughs> it was a lunchtime. Like, I, so we must store. have both been in our respective yeah, yeah. toilets at work. And like, um, I was at um, V-Point. So no one's ever heard of V-Point. It was supposed to be a, um, how do I put it? A BuzzFeed rival that nobody is yet to have heard of. Because <laughs> it didn't rival BuzzFeed. I was working there, which was my first job post-university. Um, Elizabeth was working in Canary Wharf um, as a marketing manager. No, off this before I got my promotion. Oh, marketing officer. look at how seamlessly you guys didn't even need to know that, and yet she's like, So, my promotion, <laughs> but yeah, no, she did get promoted because she's brilliant at what she does, so fair enough. But yeah, so she called me and was like, Oh, like, where are the books that speak to black girls? And I was like, I don't know, like, I don't read the, I didn't, I, didn't, I was about to say, I don't read, which is not true because I do read, but I don't read as much as I should. So, I was like, I don't read, so I certainly didn't read like, um self-help books or like books that um kind of were kind of like to guide you i suppose um not because i i, I don't know it was kind of from a, to be honest from a place of arrogance because like, i've got it you don't see yourself reflected in a white woman in up in with shoulder pads with her hands on her hips being like you can do it and it's like which you are you talking about essentially so elizabeth rang me and was like i really wish there was like on a level a book that spoke to black women about the workplace and literally her words were, oh, you're a journalist. Can you write this book? <laughs> that was pretty much the, the start of the conversation. And I was like, you know, like you kind of have this little like light bulb moment because she was kind of just talking about this idea. And I was like, this is genuinely very good. So like as she was kind of talking, I was kind of Googling like, okay, this is one of those ideas that's so good. Obviously, there's probably like this African-American entrepreneur that's already got a book called Slaying Your Line. And it's all about kind of, do you know what I mean? The exact same thing. So I was like, oh, let's have a look, whatever. And then... Like, it didn't exist. So she was like, oh, let's, let, can you write it for me? And I was like, you know, she's a, I mean, she got promoted for a reason. She's a marketing genius. So I was like, why don't we, you know, journalist, marketing, let's make it happen. Let's do it together. And that's essentially how it was born, literally from a phone call where I guess she was just frustrated with the books that were sort of out there. 
and wanted to make sure that she could see herself reflected. And then it became about making sure that other black women felt reflected as well. Yeah, would you say it saved our friendship? Because if you saved, to, remember you what was wrong say, with remember it? you always said no. Remember you always say that if you done it by yourself, yes, and went to make loads of money. Yeah. I said that, yeah, because I said no, that I, I could see that I could see the pound signs already. So I was like, if I run off and basically it's just me in an alternate re- reality, me alone on stage, then Elizabeth in the audience looking at me like this is my idea. So yeah, <laughs> so it became let's do it together. And I think it allowed us to be vulnerable as well. Um, there are things in this book that even apart from ourselves, like our other closest friends probably don't even know. So I think even just talking about certain aspects of our childhood, certain aspects of just stuff that's happened over the last how many years in our personal lives, we've been able to kind of, I guess, make sure if it was just one person, it would be really scary to kind of put yourself out there. But because it was two of us, we were able to kind of be like, oh, do, can do do we do this? Do we put, do we put this in there? Um, and I think because we kind of like, worked out reason to ourselves that it would help people um it kind of like became like a higher purpose that it just wasn't about us and I think after we started writing this book and uncovering so many stats some shock a lot of it was shocking and some things you you know but to actually see it in like percentages um I think it very soon after we realized oh my god like this book actually has to be good and it has to make a splash and it not just because it's the first but because it's an actual good book and it and we in terms of the research and all that sort of stuff um but even the personal stories of the women and everything like that um that allowed us to kind of do it because we're doing it together Mm -hmm. because first off first off the first chapter that we ever did so what with our agent and everything we it wasn't about us like it was so not personal whatsoever so when she read it she was like this is all right but in order for it to be really good and great we need more of you and more of your voices and it took us aback and obviously Yomi's a journalist yeah but she always she doesn't write about her personal stuff in her work and me being just like you know my own life it's not something that I do so it took a lot of mental kind of like you know like strength to kind of think oh gosh do I put this in there um, and I think, I guess the friendship does help. I love those two. They're fantastic. <laughs> that chemistry. Is oh. We listen to them forever. I, I mean, you can just, not only their, their clear love for each other, but also the atmosphere in the room. Like you can mm-hmm. see all of the audience at that event clearly loving the yes. idea of that book, being the right audience for that book and mm. really loving hearing the two of them talk about its genesis, you know, how it came yes. to be. I'm just really... I think it's something really interesting about friendship, which is that not only do you get the support from your friends, and you tend to get that from your family as well, that kind of blind support, like whatever you do, I'll always be there for you. But you also get that kind of keen criticism or interest or whatever. The thing that actually helps you to do things often is your friends who will say the thing that you need to hear sometimes. Mm. Um, And those two clearly bolstering each other to make sure that book was as good as it could possibly be. Um, And and also to share those things that they were slightly scared about sharing. I just loved how throughout that clip, they just kind of were really promoting each other Mm. through kind of saying, you're an amazing journalist and you will do this and you will do that. It's just lovely to hear that support. We need it. Whilst also slightly taking the piss out of each other as well. Oh, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) To kind of continue on that idea of kind of support criticism being vulnerable etc etc i think that no episode on friendship would be complete without me mentioning ferrante at least once um, uh, here we go i thought it was going to be about me no <laughs> without me mentioning holly no without me mentioning ferrante um there was a really interesting I, I can't remember it's like the new yorker or the new york times there's this really interesting idea where they get interesting idea run this piece um 
where they ask an architect to render a novel as a building. So they say the architect reads the book and then draws up a sketch of a building that kind of somehow represents the book. Okay, so not a building from the book, but a building that is the book. Yeah, that they've devised and come up with. It's a brilliant thing. But they did one for My Brilliant Friend, the first in the Neapolitan novels. Um, And I'm going to have to describe it because obviously it's a visual thing. But it's essentially this kind of building which is kind of intermingling and kind of almost looking like cells or something Mm. or like DNA strands and the building at once looks like it's being supported by two halves and then two halves pulling away from one another at the same time um if you can visualize this any listeners look it up it's it's brilliant um especially if you've read the books yeah um but it's this really interesting idea of this mutually supporting thing the friendship of Lila and Lenu being supportive but also somehow needing to kind of pull apart or critique one another and Wow. Yeah. I would highly recommend looking mm. at it. Oh, I never thought we'd have got to architecture. I know. Talking about friendship. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? So it? relevant. <laughs> the other thing that I think that comes up in that is this line between friendship and community that yeah. came up mm. um, with, this, um, with Slay in Your Lane. I think, well, it's particularly, it was really interesting what they were saying about the, the books that already existed, you know, those kind of business self help mm. books, really didn't speak to them and also that there's a different message if you're a black woman that Mm. there's a different feeling that goes along with any kind of confidence building or asserting yourself at work because it's not a level playing field so they there was definitely a need for that book and you can hear that again you can hear that in the room because you can hear that all of those people finally have got the guidance or the support Mm. that they needed from Yomi and and Elizabeth. Uh, It came up in Angie's clip as well when she said about having close friends etc to support her in within the industry Um, and it's definitely this thing of finding identifiable role models or friends friendships to cope with the strain of capitalism (laughs) (laughs) rampant lefty Dan coming through (laughs) Um, no but um, genuinely like that having those models or people you can relate to on that level is just so important for coping yeah definitely. mutually coping now before i tell you more about what to expect from next week's episode it is time to travel the country and hear from our booksellers with their recommendations based on this theme of friendship get ready to make notes and remember that whatever you're looking for it always pays to ask a bookseller Hi, I'm Alison from Bury St Edmunds and a great book to read about the theme Friendship will be The Lido by Libby Page because it's a heartwarming exploration of how a community comes together to save their local swimming pool, uniting to protect something they love and forming lifelong companionships across the generations in the process. Hi, I'm Steve from Swansea and a great book to read about friendship is released by Patrick Ness because the friendship between his two young protagonists feels genuine, tender and loving. His characters always feel real and their relationships utterly believable. Hi, my name is Paul, I work at the Brentwood store, and I think that a great book to read on the theme of friendship would be The Watchmaker of Filiger Street by Natasha Pulley. She writes these wonderful, fantastical worlds that you wish were true, but at the very heart of it, there is a relationship between Nathaniel and Mori that is so strong and enchanting that you love spending time in their company, and it just keeps you turning the pages. We have learned that friendship is precious. We've learned that it requires effort. Uh, and also, I suppose, that it, it can help you to do things that you might not have been able to do on your own, definitely. And can be a building, apparently. And, well. can, and can also be a building. <laughs> uh, Holly and Dan, my friends, 
thank you uh, for the chat as ever. Um, we obviously hope that you enjoyed this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, so you can email us on social at waterstones.com and do, of course, please leave reviews and ratings on your podcast platform of choice. Um, and if you're enjoying the series so far, tell your friends. Oh, How many mention of friends can you get? Uh, I, think, I think I'm done now. <laughs> Waterstones podcast drinking game. <laughs> we can move on to what we're to expect from our next episode. So we're going to be changing the tone ever so slightly. It's not so much friends as friends with benefits because we're going to be talking about sex. Yes. I'm afraid, I'd just like to clarify that that is not the nature of the relationship Definitely between the podcast. It's not the hosts. vibe in this room. <laughs> so we'll be talking about sex with Hannah Witten, uh, Catelyn Moran and Candice Carty-Williams. So do please join us in a fortnight. And until then, bye from all of us here. Bye. Goodbye. But also, you always thank us, but we never thank you. Will? Thanks. Thank you, Will. He also described us as his friend twice, no. and we didn't describe him as our friend once. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's very, very telling. <laughs> Sound engineer.